0: And so those 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 moments where people just encourage me to like lean in, say hello. I can remember my aunt, so Jean's cousin from earlier that she said somebody always has to say hi first.
1: What's up, competitor nation? Welcome or welcome back to the Compete Everyday podcast. It's Jake Thompson, your chief encouragement officer. And I'm excited today as we welcome in my friend, lawyer, and fellow podcast host, Stuart Shirtliff, as we talk about the importance of leaning into discomfort. Stuart shares his journey into law, how he has just over the years developed this. Skill, I would say more than anything, to lean into discomfort. How he, in his own words, is terrible about managing his time, but he still found a way to manage his priorities and his energy and shares how he does that with those non negotiables. We talk about parenting young athletes. We talk about the power of mentorship on your personal and professional life. We talk about the importance of just dealing with life sometimes that we can both relate to as a people pleaser and where that can get us into trouble and where there's opportunities for us to dig in and focus on who really matters and what really matters that oftentimes can get pushed to the side by the more than anything, the meaningless. And so there's a lot of quality and depth into today's conversation with my friend, Stuart. If you wanna learn more about Stuart and their show, I wanna encourage you to check out the 1720 podcast. I've been a guest on the, uh, on the show twice and have linked to it in the show notes, one of the more recent interviews we did, uh, talking about, I believe in that episode, self-talk, managing your priorities and just showing up to compete daily. So dive into the show notes for that. If you missed it last week, we dropped our brand new summer collection and I want to encourage you to head on over, check it out. And you can use the code podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off anything in the shop, including all of those new releases like our brand new When Your Next Journal, the Be Great Today cap collection, the Be Known for Results shirts and tanks, and then finally the Hard Work Buys Dreams. Are you paying the currency every single day for the goals you have and the dreams in your heart? Head on over to competeeveryday.com, use the code podcast, get yourself 15% off, support the show, support the team so we can keep supporting you as you chase greatness and get results every single day. Now, let's dive into the show today with my man, Stuart. Stuart, my good man, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Jake, man. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, excited to have this conversation. Uh, Legal wizard, host of the <laughs> 1720 podcast, raising some basketball ballers and just all around great dude. And so I'm just excited to hang out a little bit with you this afternoon.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. My wife tells a funny story. I'll just jump right in here because I like to talk about me and you. You don't even know this story. <laughs> but <laughs> it, was a, it was a couple of years ago, we were at the dirt. Remember those, the, um, the derby party over at the race park.
1: Yeah. That Lone Star. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so she was with me. I don't think Ashley, she knew who you were, but she didn't know you at the time. And so you walk up and I'm sort of melancholy, usually just like flatline. People probably think I'm a grump. If you look at me from afar and you walk up and I get like, so excited. I was like, and she says it all the time. She goes, you said, Jake, I'm so excited to see you. <laughs> and she's like, you don't say that about anybody. So <laughs> There you go, man. So excited to I see pre- you, Jay. I appreciate it. Yeah. For for listeners, uh, we had your
1: co-host Kevin on the show talking about his new book that just came out. And I've been on 1720 twice now, two or three yes, times hanging out. Absolutely. Um Okay. So, but I don't know a whole lot about you other than your legal mastermind and <laughs> you 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 work with our friends over at Osborne. So tell yeah. me, yeah, yeah. take, take me back, take me back. How did you even get into the legal profession? Like, Ooh, man. why would you decide to be a masochist?
0: So, yeah, no, that's definitely what it is. <laughs> um, You know how, when you're a kid, you have this, there's always somebody in your life that whether you know it or not, you're kind of chasing the same direction that they're chasing. Right. And so to me, I had an older cousin, his name was genie six years older than me uh he played basketball i played basketball he was i did you know he did the. i did the. i kind of just followed in his footsteps not not because i didn't have any better ideas but i really looked up to him you know and uh he graduated from high school was going off to medical school and i was like me too right so that's what i did i when i graduated from high school i was like i'm gonna go be a doctor just like gene that's what i'm doing got to um college got into those basics and was just like this is not super fun it wasn't that I wasn't doing well. I just was like, this, this is, I don't like this. And so at the time I had a, um, you had to take the basics, right? I had to go take a communications class. I said, so you know what? I'm going to take a break from Kim and biology and go take some basics class and just kind of catch my breath. But instead of taking COM 101, I took a legal communications class. Uh, a guy named Matt Callagher was teaching that class. And eventually, I'll yada, yada, yada over it, uh, became my mentor, became my advisor at school. I changed to political science uh, and decided I was going to law school because that class really did change my trajectory. It it showed me was this, the this space that I got to do something I loved. I got to stand up in front of people and tell a story and weave things together and try to figure out what it was going to take to convince you that I was right and, and all this. And uh, captained the mock trial team for a couple of years, uh, went on to law school, yada, yada, yada. There you are. You're a lawyer.
1: Okay. So, (laughs) but why construction?
0: How have you landed in this industry specifically? Man, a total accident. Total, total, total super accident. Uh, At the time we were in law school, they do this thing where they don't do it anymore, but you would drop your resume. Physical piece of paper in a folder that was for a law firm that you thought you might've worked for. And so I had dropped my resumes. Law firm would get those resumes, gather them up, figure out who they wanted to interview, schedule interviews and come on campus. And so we were having what they called OCI on campus at Baylor, and uh, I was walking down the hall. i never forget, I was wearing a pair of blue jeans, uh, brown leather shoes, and a Brooks Brothers button-down, you know, like full button-down shirt, and uh, a colleague passed me in the hall, and was like, you're kind of dressed casual for your interview, to which I said, you know, LOL, before LOL was LOL, and I was like, no, nah, that's not possible, because then, then I showed her in my Palm Pilot 3E that that, <laughs> right, that that... <laughs> That meeting was that, that interview was actually tomorrow at two 30. She's like, no, it's not. So I walked around the corner, looked on the wall, sure. And shooting. it was now that interview was now. Uh, and so I opened the door and said, Hey, my name is Stuart. I have a two thirty interview, but I blew it. I didn't come prepared for this at all. I'm not dressed like I deserve a job. I'm sorry. I'll just get the next person. And they're like, no, 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 no. Come on in. Come on in. And we sat down and had a long, interesting, like fantastic conversation. Uh, And fast forward that story 15 years later, I'm a named partner at that law firm. So it was uh, interesting. I remember this exactly the color of that Brooks Brothers shirt to this day, because it was a crazy situation. You know, anybody else would have just thrown me out. But because uh, of the people who were interviewing, um, I, again, remember them to this day. I remember the things we talked about. Uh, It was a perfect fit. And they did construction law. That's how I ended up in it. Now, the reason I stayed in it was because the people are awesome. And you've had a chance to like hang out with some folks in the industry. They're just fantastic people. Um, What we're up to in the construction industry is awesome. What we're literally physically building is awesome. Uh, So I ended up here on accident. What I say is I ended up here on accident, but stayed because of the people. And so fast forward almost 20 years and that's all I've ever done is construction law.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting you say that. I, I talked to a, a former coworker of yours recently um, and we were talking at an event about construction industry because she asked me, like, how would you get into it? And I was like, Stuart podcast <laughs> yeah, and right, Kevin. Right. And she's like, what? I was like, they opened the door for now your company and that opened the door to a handful others. And I said, it was not one. I thought I would get in, but I said, it makes sense. I mean, I grew up small town gas station. And I said the thing about the construction industry, especially in Dallas, like it's a lot of genuine people. And even in the other States, I've worked in Minnesota, Virginia, like very genuine people down to earth that just do hard, good work and want to be around good people doing the same. And it's tough as we know, because our industry from a staffing standpoint is tough. Melanie was on the show talking about what they're doing to get more women involved because the stereotype is, Hey, you're on a job site all the time, and you got to right. be this way, and so I've really fallen in love with the space. Which, to your point, the people make you stay. What I'm curious is, have you ever asked those partners, why are those interviewers, why they kept you in the room?
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, it took a few years, but as I got older at the firm, right? So I'm five, six, seven years in. I might have been close to ten. I was a partner at the time, and so I was sitting in the same office with one of the partners who was interviewing me at the time. And I, and I knew then, through me having gone on campus, that we took really copious notes. I knew that there was a file in that office that had a piece of paper with my name on it and the handwritten notes on it from that day. I knew it was there. I said, I want to see it. Like It's been a decade. I want to see the <laughs> piece of paper show it to me. Uh, we talked through it. There was a little reluctancy. And eventually, the full, the file drawer opens. The piece of paper comes out. Um, and is shooting, it says right there on the top, yellow shirt, not ready. And then we had a conversation around like the other stuff that was on the paper. And the, and the short version of the story was because that was a super adversarial situation. That was a, like a huge curveball. Yeah. And I just took it on the chin and kept running. I was like, this is no big deal. Like this is something no one expected. And I just leaned into it, embraced it. And just rolled with it. And at the end, like we were all homies. We were all friends out of this situation that I just leaned into. And so that was literally it was I screwed up. I screwed up big time. I leaned into it. I embraced it. And we just moved on. And she was like, that was it. She said, if you could do that as a 22 year old kid, we knew it was going to be fine. And it was, it was fine.
1: Where did you learn that? Like, where'd you (laughs) learn to to lean into that? Because that's, that's not a default Choice for most people.
0: No, no, it's not. Default choice is what? Close, like run away, disappear, right? hide. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't know, man. That's a great question. Um, I've got two boys and a little baby girl. Who, well, she's not little. She's 10, 15, <laughs> 13, 10. Uh, and I know by just trying my best to raise them, they're all, we're all different. We're hardwired different. It has nothing to do with mom or dad or genetics and sometimes even house. And we can debate that all you want, but we're just wired different. And I think I'm just wired a little different, but I had good role models of, of folks in my life who just were kind and leaned in. I mean, I can remember uh, I grew up in a really small town in southeast Texas and I had my grandfather passed away when I was in the fourth grade, but I had a few years of hanging out with him that I, I, there are moments I never forget. Uh, and we call him Papa. Papa never met a stranger right? We're at the grocery store. He knows everybody. We're at the whatever. He knows everybody. I remember this time where we had gone to the bank. I really, really wanted a pop or like a a sucker. So scared. And I was just hiding behind Papa and Papa was like, come on, man. It's fine. Like just, we can just talk to these folks and, you know, and so those, those, those moments where people just encourage me to like lean in, say hello. I can remember my aunt. So Jean's cousin from earlier that she said, somebody always has to say hi first. Somebody And and that's just a silly thing we said, like, sitting around the table in the 80s, but it's stuck in my mind. Like, somebody always has to say hello, hello first. And so there's, like, these little moments and markers. My mom never met a stranger either. We just really gregarious, outgoing. She leans in, everything she would, you know, it's just so there's these folks and figures that we didn't have moments of, like, training. Sit down here. I want to show you something. But observationally, I saw people doing that for 22 years. And so when it was time for me to do it, I was like, oh, yeah. Just lean in, say, sorry, say, I need help. So whatever the case may be, because I saw people model it ahead of me.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things we've talked about is some of those lessons. I know raising competitive athletes <laughs> that you're trying to pour into your kids.
0: Yo, for and sure,
1: man. so I'm curious, how are you approaching that? Cause you learned, you said by sitting back and watching, there was no like, Hey, this is what we do. This is we do it. How have you tried to balance that on your end from a, just I know my kids aren't gonna listen to me because I'm dad, but I'm still gonna try.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the 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 thing I wrestle with, and I don't know if I've made up this word or not, but the thing I wrestle with personally is pendulum parenting. So little like actual sit down talk about i just observed but the pendulum has swung completely the other way where i want to just sit down and say hey let me tell you all the things like and just word i read a book once hey you should talk to jake let's get all the stuff right i'm just wearing them out with it so there's this it's the pendulum parenting coupled with like complete humility because i tell them all the time i screwed that up man I, I, I got after you too hard. That was my mistake. I, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry with my kids is just a, a like force multiplier in the relationship with them because it allows me to, to do and talk and say and express openly and know like, if I screw up, I'm going to say, I'm sorry. And they're be like, it's fine, dad. Like, I love you. It's fine. Like what, we're moving on. And they forgive and forget and we move on. And so I have a relationship with them that I think is open, transparent, candid, humble Uh, that allows me to just lean in and like press on them and push them and challenge them and motivate them to just be the best version of themselves. Right, I don't have any delusion that my kid's going to be the, like he's going to, any of my kids are going to score the most points ever in the NBA, right? That's not how they're wired. What I want most for them is to be the best version of themselves. And really what I want most for them is to learn through this journey of sport, teamwork, encouraging folks, positive touching, like the handshakes, high fives, all of the things that make what I had to do at work every day better. Because I know I tell them all the time, best player in the world, this will be controversial, best basketball player ever, Michael Jordan, the ball dropped one day, like it got flat and stopped. And he had a whole life ahead of him and it was, the ball will stop bouncing for you. So let's start now preparing for learning lessons here. So that when the ball drops, you're, you're golden. Right. So I'll tell you two or three stories and you've, you've you're instrumental in a ton of them um, of just like leaning in and saying, Hey, this is, this is super cool. Right. So I pendulum parenting. Right. So I'm sitting on the sideline and with my 13 year old, I'm very vocal for some reason at the games, very vocal.
1: Let's preface this of what you mean by vocal because you're not the crazy
0: no, screaming no, at the ref sports no, beard, as no. i know
1: you so i want to yeah. very much specify for <laughs> anybody listening I'm not the this is, is not what we out. mean when he means vocal
0: yeah i'm the hey get your butt down check up you're not helping on the weak side hey you're get your elbow in jump shuffle your feet, all that like this is yeah. i think positive encouragement but it's coaching from the wrong side of the floor basically and um happens for a couple games and hayes eventually this is part of like us just having an open, honest humble. He comes to me and does like the hardest thing. He's told by the time, the hardest thing I can ever imagine. He says, dad, I need to talk to you about something. Cool. What's up? He's like, this is embarrassing when you do that. I was like, oh, man. All right. So my instinct is to be mad, right? Like my, yeah. that hurts. And then I realized like, no, he just did the most impossible thing. Like he looked me in the eyes and said dad we got to talk about something that's embarrassing please stop and eventually i was like i'm sorry you're right and i don't say anything it's like lock it up shut it up i just sit and watch now but that was a humongous lesson that gave rise to this story from two weeks ago he's like there's a kid on my team that's really like he's wearing us all out he's he's just killing us i was like guess what fast forward 10 years there's going to be a guy at your job that's wearing you out but you don't get you just quit that team right and then I encouraged him around this idea of like stepping up. I said, you're, you are uniquely equipped to go to that kid and say, Hey man, something's going on. Like, what is it? We're all trying to accomplish the same goal. We're all trying to put that orange ball in that hoop, but something's going on and it's hurting us all. How do we fix it? How do I help? And he looked at me and I, he was like, I can't do that. And I said, and I told the story, here's how I know you can, because of this conversation you and I had. And he looked at me and he's like, I can do it. Last night I asked him, "How's it going with that key? He's like, "I texted him. I asked him how he's doing. We're gonna go play him." Like, so he's like leaning in and engaging, and I, that is, that's gonna change his life, man. Because there is that day where he's office next to a guy who's wearing him out or whatever, and he's gonna be able to say, "Hey, I need to talk. Let's work this out." You know. So yeah. anyway, that's a long way to say raising a competitor for sure. Like we want to win, we want to win, but we also know the ball will drop. And we want our kids to be set up for like a lifetime of success around all the lessons and micro lessons and all the things that we're learning there in sports. So.
1: Yeah, no, that's that. And that's so, so incredibly crucial. One of the things I want to talk little professional before we go that I want to keep pulling on this thread, how I'm trying to think of the best way to actually ask this question of just the development. Okay. Here's a good way. Lawyer. It's a pretty slow, easy, casual pace of life. Super uh, casual, complete, yeah. Super casual. Completely sarcastic. <laughs> uh, lo- you're obviously you're doing that. You and Kevin have the podcast, which we'll talk a little bit about too. Yeah. You got three kiddos. You have, which we just left about off air, year-round basketball. Yes. How do you manage your schedule and your non-negotiables?
0: Very poorly. Like if you if we had to have a conversation about like hey Stuart these are the things you don't do very well this is at the top of the list because I I have there's there's something about being in your 40s I think it's okay to say that I'm in my forties
1: that's okay you, I turn, start, I'm there next week
0: yeah congratulations happy birthday um there's something that like causes you to start being reflective about all the things you thought you had figured out and I'm in that phase I'm just like oh, I thought I had that figured out but it's kind of killing me. And so I would have told you a decade ago, I don't really care what people think about me. I'm just doing me. And I have learned, no, I care deeply what people think about me. I'm a people pleaser and it's, it is paralyzing. Well, the way that that manifests itself worst for me is I don't say no, you need Mm -hmm. something. I'm there. You need help moving. I don't have time to help you move. I'll come help you move. Cause at the end of the day, I want you to think I'm awesome. Right. And so I wrestle with that every day. So back to your question, how do I manage? I I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible at it. I overcommit. I oh, you should. Say my calendar is just a—it's a panoply of exhausting colors, and it, and and everyone's like, "How do you do And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't. I'm j- dropping the balls everywhere." But I'm I'm cognizant of it, and I think that is at least in this season of my life, the thing that's helpful is like I know it. I know I'm doing. I know the way I'm thinking about it. I know the why why I'm overwiring everything. I know why every why my uh, calendar looks like a Christmas tree. And so I'm trying to protect and protect the no, right? Because at the end of the day, I go home and I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a dad. I got to do those things first and best. And, and, and I went through a season of just showing up at home out of energy because I gave it all to somebody else. And so really, I mean, if I can answer that question more succinctly, which I have a tendency to not do, um, the answer is families first. I'm protecting that time. And then if stuff falls in around the outside between nine to five, I'm going to do the best I can. Right. Um, But I, again, that's a, that's a laser beam or as uh, Kevin would say, that's a rifle shot right between the eyes. Cause I am not really good at that, man. I'm not good at it.
1: Well, the reason I ask you that is because for you to have that conversation with your son, that takes a heavy investment in that relationship.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's not, I mean, it's easy It's easy for you to avoid making those investments because relationships are messy. Parenting, I can only imagine how hard it is because I haven't had that experience. Work, as frustrating and stressful as it is, is a little more predictable. Obviously, I mean, you just, that's a safe escape. And that's what a lot of parents do is they escape to work to not deal with the messy, I don't know, is the unknowns. But for y'all to have that conversation and then for you just to acknowledge I was aware that I was I was getting home with no energy for the people that mattered most. I had to yeah. change something around that. Uh, I want to encourage you that you're managing your energy flow, which is more important than anything else, because that's putting into the right priorities. Um, as a fellow, I would say always recovering people pleaser, as an yeah. only child, like that's me. Uh, one of the books that I've read, and if you're listening and you haven't read it, is Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. Um, Okay,
0: I'm not I'm not on this one, but that sounds good.
1: Yeah, he's got a book. He got his movie out. It's on Apple TV, I believe. It essentially talks about the book, but it's not on not caring. It's about being way more intentional about who you care about and what Mm -hmm. you invest in.
0: Yeah.
1: And I read that a decade or more ago, and it was a really interesting eye opener to me of what I was really giving an f about. And how meaningless you go to book of Eclat, Eclat, book of Eclat, E, oh my gosh, I'm literally talking, tongue- <laughs> uh, Ecclesiastes, that yeah, yeah. It. it's all meaningless, right? That's yes. where it's a lot going. And so I, I would encourage anyone listening that's like, oh, I can relate to, to Jake and Stuart talking about that. Like, that's a great place to start. I haven't read his next one, um, but I just know Manson's stuff is really well around that protecting where we Want other people's opinions because, as LaCrae says, if you live for the acceptance, you die from the rejection. Yeah. And as a guy who can get into his own head and anxious about what did I do to mess that up? What like why does isn't the, this person like me? Like that'll it just ruins you. And so I can very much relate to you on that. Well, let's this. Forward- you. Go ahead.
0: Uh, so uh, sort of a we don't need to get too far into it, but I recently changed not professions but jobs and left the private practice law to go in house at Osborne And at the time, there was there was a lot of stuff going on, and I was doing a ton of journaling uh, in that season. And uh, is, is all the things were kind of coming to fruition. There was one really like, like salient point, decision point in there that I um, will share here. And it was my grandmother passing away. And you know, it's easy to say, in the middle of nothing, you know, I want to fo- I want to focus on the end. Let's let's start with the end in mind. But there, in that season of me, like journaling, thinking through, processing, wrestling, struggling—all you know—all the smorgasbord of words that goes there. My grandma passes away, and I—I—I was—I had the fortune of being there about with her about two weeks before she passed, maybe about ten days before she passed. Um, and the it, and the people that were there were me and my dad and my uncle. And then ten days later, she passed, and the people who showed up. And I don't—you don't need to—you know—I don't have to like over tell the story but it was the people who showed up or the our her friends and her family that those are the people who were there and so i had this moment like actual tangible moment in the middle of all of that where you could see the end and it hit it again took to a kevinism like rifle shot between the eyes where if you're not thinking about those people who are going to be there at the end man you missed it you really really missed it um and so that helped hone home in get that one mixed up. It's either hone or home. I'm not sure. Hone H O N E. Yeah. Okay. You're right. In on what's important. And that's helped me with the kids. It's helped me with Ashley. It's even helped me between the kids. Right. Because I can see now, like when they start bickering, I I will aggressively intervene and sometimes like paint this like doomsday picture of like, Hey, one day I'm not going to be here. And all that's going to be left in this world of people who are really pulling for you are the two of you, the three of you. And what you're doing right now is drilling holes in a fence that cannot be repaired. Yep. And that seems like it's painting like this doomsday super graven picture to the of 15, 13 and 10 year old. But it's, I believe a thousand percent true. Cause you let those little ideas chip away at you, chip away, at you, chip away. When do you don't care anymore? And you don't even know why. And so I am like, really committed to intervening on the little things so that they don't become little big things uh, so that one day when ashley and i are no longer there my kids will always have each other Uh, so that's i mean i don't know how we ended up talking about that but just thinking about focusing on what's important that's it and and focusing with the end in mind uh, helps manage the energy so that i'm i'm trying to give my family the best version of myself
1: no, I, I love that, and and we did a we did a podcast episode. I don't know earlier this year thinking about that because I was going through a season of struggling from that couple of professional relationships that I don't even know just what weren't there anymore, yeah. and trying to be that people pleaser myself of like really beating myself up mentally for like what did I do? Like I'm not aware, you know, and just kind of came to the realization like they just see me as a competitor. And they don't mm-hmm. want to be close, yeah, and so yeah. I kind of had to accept that, as hurtful and frustrating as it was. But then I started to think of like, if I died tomorrow, like would they have even shown up for the service, right? Or live streamed it? And knowing that, I'm like, man, eh, like if you start to reframe that perspective of like, get mad about it, midnight rule, reset it. Who do I need to pour energy into? And yeah. so I think that's. Uh, that's just a helpful conversation for a lot of us because I think a lot of us, we have ego, ego drives oh, yeah. us. We, we like being liked. We like doing good.
0: There's a, there's cur- a Jake principle in there I'm I'm going to ask you questions about. Yeah. What's the midnight yeah. rule? That means something.
1: Oh, man. So go back to the book, uh, early podcast. I picked it up from a ba- a guy that played baseball uh, in the angel system forever. And we talked about pitching, short attention span. How does he do it? And he tells himself he's got a midnight rule. Good game, bad game, doesn't matter. At midnight, it's a new day. Yeah. So he's like, I can look back. I can have the lessons. I can uh, reflect back on what I did well and where I need to do better. But if I carry it over, if I keep thinking about it, I'm going to be unable to pitch at my best today because I'm thinking about last time. Mm -hmm. And that's really important. I think about the the kid uh, for the Yankees. I literally just wrote an email that goes out tomorrow on him that just pitched the perfect game Wednesday night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 24th perfect game in baseball history. If you look at his last two weeks, two weeks prior, June 6th, he was pulled from the game after two innings for giving up seven hits and seven runs. The next start, he made it 3.1 innings, was pulled for giving up 10 runs, eight earned against the uh, Seattle Mariners. And the Monday night before this perfect game on Wednesday, his uncle passed, who was like Ooh. a fatherly figure to him. He goes out. And he pitches the game of his life is immortal now in baseball. And they ask him about it. And he was like, I was more nervous than I ever had been. I just focused on the next pitch.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: He's like, I never felt pressure like that. So I just focused on the next pitch. And I think about that from our day to day, like legal case, you're dealing with, uh, you know, a kid playing a basketball game. Those of us getting ready to do a keynote, like there's pressure filled, there's frustrating, there's disappointing moments but the better we can get at releasing what was and say the past is a place for lessons, not living, the more present we can be in this moment, which is honestly where our friends, our family, our teammates need us. Like, how do you perform right now?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's great by the way. That's a, uh, that's, that's a performance idea, right? Like a next shot, next, but next, whatever, next pitch, whatever. But how many of you, how many of us are like, it's not for the thing from yesterday that I'm thinking about. Like how many, I, I'm guilty of it in the middle of the night. I get, uh, what's the okay. joke. You get woken up in the middle of the night, wondering what you told somebody in middle school yep. or whatever. And you're like, yep. why am I thinking about this right now?
1: Your is brain let is it let it go. Crazy it's, trap.
0: It is a cr- your brain is cr- not your, the proverbial brain. brain, man, that thing is a mess.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. And it's fascinating how it responds to different stresses. And, and yeah. what's been interesting is the, you know, studying more neuroplasticity is, the more we talk back to ourselves, the more we're intentional about the words we use and the way we frame things and journaling to your point during that season really helps us start to shift and move past at least the emotional weight of some of those things. Yeah. And that's what's so important for us as we grow and develop. One of the things I'm actually curious on your end is these partners saw this trade in you in this interview. Sure. You've talked about identifying things that your kids have done well. And here's where that connect the lessons as a partner in the firm, or even now in your role, kind of in-house, how do you look for that in younger leaders and managers to identify things in them that maybe they're unaware of or to lean onto things that, you know, will be beneficial to them later that maybe they don't realize.
0: Yeah. So there's a two points and I'm going to add a third one on top of that. Yeah. Um, what, I'm going to really butcher the quote, but the the gist of it is uh, if you want to teach a man to sail, you don't teach him to build a boat. You teach him to yearn for the sea. Have you, what is it? Yep. I'm messing it yeah. up. But that's this essentially is the, it. Yeah. This is the gist of it. Um, I found a lot of value in that because I can, if I can, if I can forward cast for you where this is going, then I can figure out if that's something that you're interested in. And once I can figure out if you really want to be on the water, or if you really want to build a boat, or if you really yearn for the sea, then I can start leaning into your areas of expertise and helpfulness. So there were folks at the firm, I mean, all firms generally, I'll just say lawyers generally, sort of fall into two different big giant groupings, right? There, There are folks who... Want to, they yearn for the sea, right? Like I want to, I want to be out there. I want to be, I want to be the rainmaker. I want to be the business development guy. I want to be the managing partner here. They yearn for the sea. And there are others are like, no, I just, I'm very comfortable building boats and I'm not degrading the boat builder because yeah. firms run on boat builders Yeah, for sure. And so through that process of trying to identify, like, do you yearn for a hammer or do you yearn for the sea? Then I can figure out, like, okay, how do I help, right? Because I don't want to try to take someone who wants to build a boat and try to get them to imagine being on the water. Right? Yeah. Then you're like, oh, I I want to be a technical expert. Awesome. Then I can start leaning in and saying, okay, technical expert looks like this. Here's how. Here, okay, I will. I and I probably much to my own detriment over the years will like voraciously mentor like crazily mentor because i knew that it's difficult to scale or leverage a business when you're when you're in the service profession you're the widget maker forever jake that's you right well the only way i could foresee doing that as an attorney was building the team and so i would i would sacrifice my billable hours because i would rather spend two hours with you today reviewing unnecessarily where that comma goes so that next time the comma is in the right spot and we can fix and build and be better. Um, and so mentor, I would, I would mentor, I spend tons of time with young lawyers learning what they wanted, learning what they wanted to do, learning where they wanted to go and then helping them figure out how to get there. Um, and then if you're, if your jam was, I yearn for the sea. I said, come with me. I will, I will, I will show you where the ocean is. Let's go there too. And I would take with, go teach, train, show, demonstrate, follow up, advocate, all, or whatever whatever that word is that goes there, you know, to just help them yeah. do that. Um, and then the other, comp- so that's two I've jumbled together. The other one is helping people learn from my lessons. Like I've I've been doing this almost 20 years. I've seen almost everything go wrong and then fixed it. And as a result of that, I see markers really early that you can't, the proverbial you can't see. And so oftentimes I just sit in a meeting, not because I have anything to do with the meeting, but just listening for the markers. And when it's over, I'll grab somebody. Hey, Jake, you, you can't see this, but that email that y'all are talking about sending, that's going to send us into a terrible spiral. And, and I'll tell you why this, this, this X, Y, you don't know that this document exists, but, the, and then, and then I can paint the, like the, the vision, the picture, the holistic uh, viewpoint on it. So that they're like, Oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, I know you didn't know that. Now you do. Right. And now next time you'll ask a better question and next time you'll know to come out. And, and so I, I just, it's kind of to the mentoring part is, is using all of that. Like I've seen everything go wrong and fixed it perspective that I have. And then just leaning in and trying to help and teach and, and, and encourage folks to be better around it. And that goes from like the holistic understanding of what we do. Like you had no idea that X was related to Y because you couldn't see past the curtain to know that, but it also goes to like we're not doing a good job communicating. And let me, let me, let me give you two tips on how that email could be better. Not because I think it's bad or you need to, but just next time you could do it better. Oh, that's a great idea. Actually. I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have thought to include that. That was a great idea. And so again, I guess maybe really to answer your question, I'm orbiting around spending tons of time with people and mentoring them and teaching them everything that I can uh, to make them the most productive, most helpful, most everything, that they can be right. Go, go be the best version yourself. I'm going to do the best I can to help you.
1: I love that. Well, and I, that just speaks to the attitude every day of how can I help someone get a little bit better Yeah, and looking right. for those opportunities, uh, which obviously you do. And and you've got the podcast that y'all use as a platform to help leverage and help folks and just everything that you're doing going on, dude. Uh, I told you, I didn't know where this ride was going to go. We were just going to hang <laughs> on and spin around, but I, I love, it, I love yeah. I love the importance of just mentoring because we have a lot of folks that we just get busy, right? We're busy trying to do our own crap and we just want to hire people that already know what they're doing or maybe have a little bit in place and we don't necessarily want to do that, but that's a crucial part of leadership is the mentor and development of others. Otherwise, you're just a manager. Managers like check the box, get it done, get the systems, but leadership's on the development and the coaching up of people. And so I think that's really, really important to distinguish and also just talk about how you it's not a process as much as it is just a habit and a mindset of how do I pour into my people? And I think that's so crucial. And a Superman, relationship.
0: That's it. That's oh, the other part it, in a relationship. Like yeah. this doesn't work. If I don't know that you, if, if I don't know you love TCU everything, then I don't know to text you and be like, Hey, how the, you know, and then yeah. there's a relationship and we're talking. And then when I say, Hey, that email wasn't great. You don't think that guy hates me. You think, yeah, Oh, that's great advice. He's I know he cares about me. I know he thinks he wants the best for me. And that's really good advice. Uh, So it's as much of a relationship as it is anything else.
1: Well, you got to you got to make the deposits into the other person before you can ever make the feedback withdrawal, right? Yeah,
0: for sure. For sure.
1: That ATM or that debit card into an empty, empty bank account. That's right. Uh, Right. Dude, for people listening that want to get to know you a little bit better, what y'all are doing over the podcast, where's the best place for them to connect with uh, the 1720 crew?
0: man, we live mostly on LinkedIn. I think Kevin manages our Instagram, but I don't even know how to get on there. Um, but we're on LinkedIn mostly and Instagram. We post every Monday, we post the episode up and we've been doing the podcast for about a hundred and I think we're about 150 episodes now, half construction, half leadership, half getting better. I know that math doesn't work, but it's close enough. Um, and it's uh 1720 podcast, the number one, the number seven, uh, 20 and, it's, it's excellent. We uh, hang out over the Texas office, record with cool people, get to tell stories, life, leadership, lessons, learning, Jesus sprinkled in on top, man.
1: We need to, uh, we need to do an episode three when, uh, closer to my next books coming out up at the, uh, Osborne office and
0: done. Sign me up. I'm in for it. Put it on the calendar.
1: Dude. I appreciate you. Thanks so much for coming on the show this week.
0: Yes, sir. Good to see you, Jake.